Thank you for listening to the Park Church Podcast. I hope you enjoy the sermon. That sense of family um, has been very noticeable. We've had quite a month of different services, different people coming amongst us. Um, We've had the moderator. We had special service, obviously, last Sunday. At the beginning of the month, we had um, the rep from CAP. And I just want to read part of the letter sent to us from the moderator of the General Assembly. Um, he sent us, well, an email, don't send letters nowadays, but an email which he sent to um, myself and Elizabeth just at the beginning of last week. And um, he said he deliberately waited a week um, to wait to thank us for the hospitality. He mentioned one or two other things. And then he goes on to say, I also want to comment on a visit to Park Church. It was quite different in a number of ways from other congregations. It is bigger, intergenerational, that means a lot of different ages. Um, <laughs> relaxed, well, I think that's true. And, and has by far the longest service we've been involved in so far. <laughs> <laughs> no, that wasn't my fault that day. That wasn't my fault that day. It wasn't my fault that day. Um, but, he said, but he said, what impressed me most was the atmosphere of worship fellowship and service. People are happy to spend a couple of hours in church enjoying each other and the Lord's company. And then he goes on to say, the other thing I wanted to compliment you on is Park Pages. I'm so glad you gave me a copy. What a professional production. There you are, Helen. There we are. You can see why he's the moderator. He's very, from your carefully crafted minister's letter um, to the articles in the new elders and managers, it was a pleasure to read. Glancing at it again, I noticed the name of Douglas Hutchins, a new member. And that sounds very similar to the name of the man the session clerk of Air United Free Church said today had come to advise them about setting up a trust. If so, it is another example of park folk helping the wider church. And he goes on to say one or two other things. And so that's very kind and encouraging. Um, and, and, and encouraging, I hope, in the sense it does pick up on that desire for us to be a family of God's people. John Fearful, who you've been very kind to over the years as a church family, and especially the ladies at the coffee service have in various ways expressed that through cards and other tokens that they've sent to John and to his mum and indeed to his dad when his dad was ill. John, as I say, was here this morning. didn't even need a, a word of introduction. We, we know him. And um, he was sitting over there, and he was just saying that as he sit, sat over there and looked over, obviously it was, it was you know, with the tables and all the folks in it. It was certainly um, well filled last week. And he just noticed that, that, that even at the tables, people of different ages sitting together and chatting together, and that mark of what should be a picture of a family, a human family. And of course, not all of us have been blessed with families for various reasons, and indeed that's one of the reasons why I think it's quite good in Mothering Sunday. We don't actually in church overly emphasize that, because first of all, some of us are here and have lost dearly loved mums, perhaps many, many years ago, but we still feel that loss deeply. Others of us, for various reasons, maybe didn't have a good relationship with our mums. Others have not been blessed with children, or a whole host of different reasons, and so it's maybe not good that sometimes the church overly emphasizes that, but what it should emphasize is the value of human relationships. Because as we've been looking at the story of the encounters with Jesus over these past, well, it's been a few weeks now, but over this period since Christmas, it started, if you remember, just following on from Christmas, reflecting on the fact that the Word, the eternal Word, the Word that spoke and brought everything into being, is also the Word that took flesh and lived among us 
full of grace and truth. The God who himself lives in perfect harmony in the relationship of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the God who's made us, and again, we looked upon that, touched upon that when we looked at the commandments, the God who himself lives in relationships has made us in his image to live in relationships, whether that be within a human family or within the family of our community, within the family of the people of faith. And the God who took flesh and lived among us full of grace and truth is the one who entered into these relationships. And we saw when we were watching some of the video clips, and we'll return to them in another week, the video clips of the Bible being played out and acted out. I think one of the, somebody said to me in the church that one of the things that spoke to them most deeply was the fact that there was Jesus walking along with his mates, with his disciples. And there was crowds and there was interaction and there was laughter and fun, as well as, of course, of deep sorrow and tears later on. And that is family life. That is human life. Time to celebrate and a time to not celebrate, a time to rejoice and a time to be tearful. And the God who is at the heart of the faith of Christianity, unlike the other world faiths, is a God who has entered into that reality and entered into human relationships in all its joy, in all its blessing, and also in all its trial and tribulation. Turn with, with me, if you can, this morning. To, we're going to be looking at that theme, obviously, as we pick up, first of all, from Luke's gospel. And I'm conscious it's a wee bit cooler this morning, so this will not be one of the services that last for two hours, so don't worry. Um, I'm needing my tea as much as MDLs. And, and let's turn to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. And we're going to look this morning at Jesus in a domestic situation, in a home. In this case, a home made up of two sisters and a brother. We're not told, but the impression is certainly given that the two sisters were not married, or if they had been, then perhaps they had been widowed. Um, they were back living together. Lazarus, their brother, was the, would have been the provider. He'd have been the man of the house in that sense, in that type of situation. And the two sisters would have lived, and they lived as a family unit. And we live in a day, of course, where, you know, the, 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 the mum and the dad, the 2.4 kids, was, you know, made as the great kind of paragon of family life, and, and, well, even in my lifetime. But that's not the case nowadays. And all sorts of different relationships exist within a family unit, whether it be a single parent or, 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 or different arrangements exist. And in a sense, it's good that we're reading of a family unit that wasn't the mum, dad, and the 2.4 kids. It's two sisters and a brother. And yet God and Christ enters into that domestic setting. Verse 38 of Luke chapter 10. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. Now, we could all imagine, I'm sure, the challenge of the situation 
Jesus, of course, in this part of Luke's gospel, is really in the, the heart of his ministry. We've just had him speaking, telling the story of the parable of the Good Samaritan. That follows on from Jesus sending out not just the 12, but the 72 to go out into the communities and to the villages. It's right at the core of that public ministry of Jesus Christ. Everything was happening. It was hectic. People were looking for Jesus to heal and to deliver, and we see that in the gospel context. Jesus' teaching is beginning to focus very much, even the parable of the Good Samaritan, of the God who comes and to save not those who think they're righteous, but sinners. And the parable of the Good Samaritan can be seen, not just as an example of how we should be a good neighbor, but of how God comes to rescue and to deliver and to heal and to redeem those who are not regarded as being righteous or religious. And in the midst of all of that, Jesus finds a home where he's welcomed. A woman named Martha opens her home to him. And let's be honest, that is quite a challenge. I know it says an Englishman's home is this, the castle, but I'm sure that's true for Scottish people as well. And our homes, not just the, the physical building in which we live, but the things we have in our homes, the things that we've bought to fill our homes with, and the people who live in that home or perhaps used to live in that home or who are connected to that home through relationships that might have moved away, but they're still part of that understanding of our family, these things come to the very core of who we are. We find our identity often in our relationship with others in our home. I think probably one of the reasons why the Bible would teach and suggest certainly that if you're going to be a pastor teacher, it certainly is a benefit. Indeed, some might argue it is a prerequisite that you should be married and you should have a family. Why? Because I can assure you, those of us being married and have a family is a good training ground for looking after a church. <laughs> because that's where we learn about ourselves. That's where we learn about our strengths, but also about our weaknesses, the things that we can rejoice in, and also the things that that's life. And that's where we learn. And that's where we grow. In those relationships with others. And Jesus comes into that. And this little, you know, I think there is a, I, I haven't watched it, I hasten to add. After, I'm very conscious after what Helen said so kindly last week. I must obviously watch an awful lot of television. <laughs> you may think that's all he does, watch daytime daily. But I do believe there is a program called Through the Ah, you see, you must watch it. <laughs> and you get this through the keyhole, and you get this insight into a domestic setting. Well, we get that here. There's Martha, what we're told. Well, she's distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. Bless the dear men and women last weekend who were, understandably, no doubt, very distracted by all the preparations that had to be made as they ensured that our church family had a lovely and blessed time together. And what makes it worse is not that she's, just, that she's just run off her feet with all the hassle getting the meal ready, but her sister, Mary, well, we all know about Mary. Mary, Mary, quite contrary. And what's she doing? She's just sitting down there, looking up at Jesus, 
while I'm having to try and get everything organized. Notice Lazarus doesn't get a mention in this. He was sitting with his pipe reading the paper, you know. And all the domestic challenges, which no doubt were there, come to the surface. It's often a time of challenge, isn't it? Often a time when things is he- life is hectic, you know, and you're running about here, there, and everywhere, and there's pressure at work, and pressure here, and pressure there, and that all builds up, and like a pressure cooker, it can easily explode. Well, it's about to explode here. Martha is exasperated, and instead of, maybe she's learned that the subtle kind of, <coughs> when you're walking past Mary, or the wee nudge with the foot, or the dropping of the saucepan, or the clattering of dishes in the kitchen, how often, I remember my mum, she used to go up to me, bang, you old dear, back you the hell. You know, you know, keep it in the kitchen, you know. Elizabeth doesn't do that. Well, she does do it, but that's not because she's cross. She just does it by that's, that's just na- That's just your nature. If we hear a big clatter, we know it's not because she's cross. It's just, well, that's Elizabeth. Yes, yes. Uh, but none of that worked with Mary, especially when she seemed to have only eyes for Jesus. And she thinks, right, I'm going to show her up. And so she, I can just imagine it, you know, you're Jesus for the moment, you're really been elevated today, brother. <laughs> yes. And she just comes up there, and there's me, forget about Mary, listen to me, I've got something to, an issue to bite my bone to bite with you. Don't you care? <laughs> and the Lord of glory the one who spoke and brought everything into being, the man of sorrows, the prince of peace, the righteous one, the bright morning star, the servant king, looked at Martha. Martha, Martha, you're worried, you're stressed, about so many things, but only one thing is needful or few things are needed, depending on how you understand the translation. Martha, just calm down. I'm not worried if the, you know, the potatoes are turned to soup (laughs) or they're hard-boiled. I'm not really worried if your fancy soup that you're making isn't just, you know, got the croutons neatly placed with the parcel and the cream in the center of the bowl. I care for you and for your sister and for your family and for everything else that's going on in your life and your relationships, and that's why I'm here. The one who commanded the wind and the waves to be still, the one who just in a few minutes we're going to see shouted forth and brought Lazarus, their brother, from the tomb. The one who reached out to the leper and touched and brought healing. I'm the one that's with you now. And that is the most important thing of it all. to be in your presence, to sit at your feet. That is my desire. Let's
stand and sing this song. And then we have to go back to that home and visit it at a time of sorrow and loss. I certainly found this, not just as an individual, though actually Elizabeth and I have lost, I counted up the other day, five good friends who have all died before us, who are not old, ages with us or younger. Our first, the battery's gone. Oh, the battery's gone. The first, well, it certainly is working now. The first one was a good friend of ours who welcomed us when we went to Gifnock or went to Orchard Hill Church. And she had been left alone by her husband with two young children. Her husband had betrayed her in adultery. And she'd been so busy looking after her kids, she'd never noticed her. She never bothered about the lump that appeared at her breast. At age 29, she died and left two young children. Best friend of Elizabeth's, whose husband just couldn't cope with family life and hung himself through the attic. Mother friend Alistair, who'd been blighted with ill health for many years. I remember I still shared that with you from Cathcart. And last time I saw him, in early 50s, he couldn't even put his socks on. I had to put his socks on for friends who have gone through the dark valley, the veil of tears, the pain of parting. And Jesus is going to into such a situation, a place where, a place where that place of family welcome and love and deep bonds of friendship was now torn apart by sorrow. Let's turn to John chapter 11. And I want us just again for these few minutes not so much to emphasize, although it's right we should, that Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life, but just on another part of that story. John chapter 11. And let's pick up from verse 17. On his arrival, these are words that I often read at funeral services. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. And when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you're the Messiah or the Christ, the Son of God who is to come into the world. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. And when Mary, Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at a place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. And when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. 
Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? And we see the dynamics, do we not? Once again, Mary's sitting quietly at home. Martha's the one who gets up and gets on, is out there, you know? And yet you also see that unity, that bond and grief. Both say to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You see, the, the realities of life, of life, of death, they're great common denominators. Jesus Christ comes to meet with this family, and the smallest and the shortest verse of the whole Bible is here. Jesus wept. Who is this Jesus? This is the Jesus who enters into the reality of grief and sorrow. Who is this Jesus? Yes, he's the one who speaks and brings forth the dead, but also the one who draws near to the brokenhearted, who lifts up the fallen, who comforts the sorrowful, who would journey with the lonely person through that dark valley. This is the God who is the heart of the Christian faith, not some distant deity, not some disinterested benign being, but a living God who has created us for relationships and enters into the full, fullness of those relationships, including when those relationships are parted by death. And he weeps alongside us. The futility of life when death knocks at the door true, isn't it? We accumulate so much. We hold on to so much. We would seek to be so much. And that itself is not necessarily wrong, but I can assure you, having done hundreds, if not now thousands of funerals over 30 years of ministry, we all end up in that same looking box, going the same way. Oh yes, yours might have solid brass handles rather than the plastic ones. It might be made of oak, rather than MDF. You might have plenty of mourners rather than just a few, but it still is the same road. And the one who walked in the garden at the cool of the day, who desired nothing more than to speak and to talk to, the, to his brothers and sisters, made in his image weeps over the finality and the deathly pale of the grave. He is the one that also weeps, and we touched upon this at the main, at the refresh group when we were looking at this just a few weeks ago. He stands at that grave and also weeps because he knows that he too is going on that journey. And he's not going to be surrounded by a crowd of people who are wailing and mourning. He's going to hear the cat calls of people who are mocking him and delighting in seeing him hang and his body being torn apart by the cross. 
He's going to know his father's face turn away as the sounds of a fallen humanity and world are laid upon him and the judgment of God for those sins are laid upon him. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He weeps over that dark valley that he must journey through so that there is a God who meets with us in our dark valley of a sin-sick soul. This is the God that we encounter in Jesus Christ. Oh, the deep deep love of Jesus, vast, unmeasured, boundless, free, rolling as a mighty ocean in its fullness over me. Underneath me, all around me, is the current of thy love, leading onward, leading homeward to my glorious rest above. And if stars. we've been in a home where we found hospitality, and a place of welcome, a place of rest, a place of just encouragement where we can kick off our shoes and put our feet up and chill, if we've been in a home where there's been a time of sorrow and we've just sat, not giving try answers on how sad it is when Christians often seek to do that, even using the Bible as a way of trying to kind of, you know, we mean well, but actually we simply speak of our own ignorance and lack of understanding. And so we sit quietly and hold a hand Yes, perhaps weep. Or we go to a party in a home and everything looks fine and upbeat and it's a cause for celebration. But somehow, even though the central heating's been turned up full blast and there's quite a crowd and the music's blaring out and everything, you sense there's something else going on in the air. Let's read John chapter 12. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume from the day of my burial. You always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Family dynamics. Lazarus, what's he doing? Sitting with his feet up. Well, mind you, I suppose if you've been risen, raised from the dead, I suppose you're justified in having a wee rest. And what's happening? Martha's busy. What's she doing? Doing many needful things. 
And what's Mary doing? Sitting at the feet of Jesus. And you know, even, even that, that's life. And we have a God, now really that's my heart's desire this morning. We have a God who understands that. That's so radically different from Islam or from all these other world faiths. Let's never think, oh, well, we're okay, it's all roughly about the same. Nothing of the sort. That's a lie of the devil. At the heart of Christianity is a God who counts the very hairs on our head and knows how many. <laughs> or how few. <laughs> and loves each of us equally the same. No wonder the Sabbath says such knowledge is too wonderful for me. And so Lazarus is sitting, Martha's hassling herself in the kitchen, and Mary's at his feet, and that's life. And Jesus is at the center. But it's more than that, isn't it? She takes this pure nard. Now, again, there's various versions of this story in the gospel records. Elizabeth and I were discussing that yesterday. We were doing our shops in Hamilton. We were even talking about the. There we are, very spiritual. Yes, yes. Exploring the different versions of this gospel story. Was this pure nard uh, kept, as Jesus says, for a funeral? Because obviously when people died in ancient times, the nard, the, the perfumes, the oils were used to dress the body, to preserve the body to a degree, to make it acceptable in the hot climate for a period. It was a sign of devotion, a sign of respect. That was being kept for the funeral, for the burial, the oils that had been used to surround Lazarus. Remember when he comes out, read the story for yourself. You have to tell, Jesus has to tell him to take off the, the strips of linen and the grave clothes from around him. Or was it actually, as one of the other versions of this story in the gospel suggests, actually it was kept as a wedding dowry. It was a gift that when you got married, you, you traded in a sense, you know, to, in order to get your husband. It was kept in the bottom drawer. Nowadays you'd need probably a, a, a lorry to keep all your stuff for your, you know, setting up home. But in those days that would be kept. And here's a spinster lady who's never got married but found the lover of her soul. Whatever, in a sense, isn't the point. Here is something of great value that speaks of marriage, of the marriage of the Lamb with His bride, and of a grave, and the one who so loved the church, as Paul tells us in Ephesians, that He gave His life for the church. And she anoints and wipes his feet with her hair. Even doing that, that would have caused tittle-tattle. There would have been speculation. There would have been comments. We notice now not from Martha, who's learned her lesson and who loves her sister, once and all but from Judas. You see, my friends, as the sweet aroma of the fragrance of that nard filled the room, there was also the stench of betrayal. 
from a man who had already sold his soul to Satan and given over himself and his purposes to the religious leaders who are the purpose of getting rid of Jesus. And not just Jesus. If you read on the story in chapter 12, they were also intent to kill Lazarus and get rid of him. And that stench of betrayal was also in that room. And also probably the smell of sweat from the one who, for the joy that was set before him, was to endure the shame and the suffering of the cross. And yet Jesus sits there and receives that worship, has that burial perfume laid upon him, and the synoptic gospel tells us that this story will be told for the rest of time of the woman who loved her Lord and gave her all to him. Who is this Jesus? He's the one who sets his face to Jerusalem and nothing is going to distract him from going on that road. Who is this Jesus? He's the one who enters into our domestic life with all its outward perfection and all its inward turmoil and tribulation. Who is this Jesus? He is the one who understands us when we're confronted with the dark valley and as the good shepherd has promised to walk with us, yea, even through the valley of the shadow. Whatever that valley is, not necessarily death, there's plenty of other forms of grief and sorrow and bereavement in life things that die that should be alive. Who is this Jesus? He's the one who died so that we might live. Jesus, what a beautiful name. Son of God, Son of Man, Lamb that was slain, joy and peace, strength and hope, grace that blows all fear away. Jesus, what a beautiful name. Let's remain seated as we sing this song and as our offering is brought. Lord Jesus, as we have come together this morning, we have remembered, yes, the days of long ago. We have meditated on your works and considered what your hands did. And metaphorically, we spread out our hands to you. We offer you not just these tokens, these financial tokens, we bring to you our lives, our homes, our relationships, the things that are going on, the failures from the past, the fears for the future, the challenges of today. And we say to you, O God, answer me quickly, for my spirit would fail within me. Do not hide your face from me. Let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love, for I have put my trust in you. And as we have meditated upon these old, old stories, 
of Jesus and his love. You have brought us that word of your mercy and grace. Jesus, what a beautiful name. For your name's sake. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Park Church Podcast. I hope you enjoy the sermon.